Hey guys, John Paulamy here, Actionable Intelligence. Today is Sunday, November 22nd, and this is the weekly market update. So in this week's reality check, I wanted to talk about um, something we've talked about in the past, but then tack on something, some new thoughts, and what I think that means. Especially as uh, we seem to have this bifurcation in the world uh, especially in the United States that I don't think a lot of people are thinking about. They're thinking about Democrat, Republican, red, blue, and I'm thinking about things in more of a, more of a nationalistic versus globalistic way of thinking about things. And what does that mean for investments, for speculation? And we'll get into that. So the world, especially the Western democracies, are basically just submerged in debt. We've talked about that before. Global debt, which comprises borrowings from households, governments, and companies, grew by $9 trillion to nearly $253 trillion. That's as of the end of last year. That puts the global debt-to-GDP ratio at 322%. That means your debt is 322% of the yearly GDP. That's bad. So basically, we're getting to a situation now where especially in the West, promises made will not be promises kept. Government cannot keep its promises. It can't afford them. And it's telling you a lot of these paternalistic, globalistic, socialistic governments are telling you that they're going to give you more free stuff. We're going to get rid of college debt. We're going to provide health care for everyone. We're going to give everybody a universal basic income. Well, how can you do that when the debt is already at 322% of GDP? Well, we're going to get into that because they have a plan. Some of you may like it. Most of you probably won't. Populism and nationalism are on the rise. That's why, you, that's why bad orange man bad got elected. It has nothing to do with him. He, personally, he is a manifestation like Bolsonaro in Brazil, Salvini in Italy. Okay? That's what we're talking about here the whole concept behind Brexit until Boris Johnson sold out the people of the UK. So basically you have a situation where socialism, I don't even want to call it socialism anymore. It's more of fascism. It's a blending of government and big business. We're seeing that, you know, this government paternalism where, you know, social security, they're going to take care of you, provide a pension. Everything's go You're not going to have to have any pain in your life. There's nothing's going to be hard. You can make all kinds of bad decisions your entire life or poor decisions and somebody else will bail you out. Just vote for me. That's under attack now. Reality is setting in. There's not enough money to pay for it. So in the spirit of never let a crisis go to waste, the masters of the universe, if you will, the players, uh, the people that meet at Davos, the people that uh, are part of the World Economic Forum, the IMF, all of these international globalist organizations have come up with a plan. They've been given a set of circumstances. The one scam that they were working to try to continue this globalism to the more, more power to them, more, more government control, was the whole climate scam. That the world was going to end in 10 or 20 years if we didn't have these massive changes. So you give us more power, oh, and more money, and we will save you 
from the hobgoblin of rising temperatures based on your lifestyle choices, peasant. And that really wasn't working. Uh, people didn't really care. They saw through it. Yeah, you have your zealots out there. You have the true believers. But most average people were like, yeah, I like having barbecues and taking my kids to soccer practice in the, uh, you know, full-size pickup truck F-250. They don't want to give it up. They don't want to downsize. They don't want to stop eating meat. They don't want, they don't care basically because it's a crisis, not crisis. And so we were presented with another crisis that began. We had this new pandemic, if you will, of the certain virus, which may not be named or will get you dinged by the algorithm of YouTube. You can read it here on this slide. And so that's now being foisted on people as an opportunity for, quote, a great reset, as, as was coined by a German economist, okay, who is in charge of the, or started the World Economic Forum. We're going to get into that. And basically, you know, when you get into this thing and you start reading it, it's not some conspiracy theory that I learned on on Alex Jones, it's in their own discussions. And there's going to be a lot of people that are going to think it's great, but I don't think it is. And so that's what the raging that's going on right now, because if the United States being the biggest economy in the world, being the most powerful country in the world, doesn't go along with this, then it's at risk. And orange man bad, bad orange man bad wasn't going along with it. That's what this whole thing's about. 72 million people that voted for him don't want to go along with it. So we're at the cusp of a titanic struggle for the future of the planet and its people. And I don't say that lightly because that's what's at stake. When you hear what these people have planned for you, um, you know, some people will like it. They like paternalism. They don't want freedom. They don't want to make their own decisions. There's quite a few people that are like that. I'm not one of them. You, you know, one of the things there's, I, I'll put links to all these articles and videos. You can go read it on your own. This Klaus Schwab, who is the instigator of this, is the face of this, has written, written several books specific to the, you know, this fourth industrial revolution, fifth revolution, as he calls it. And there's just, I'll just put a link to like a two minute video that basically goes through like the 10 things they're trying to do by 2030. And one of the things is you will own nothing and be happy. And the way that's couched is, well, you just rent things. If you want to cook a meal, you'll just rent pots and pans and a drone will bring them to your house. You won't own anything. See, what's the big deal? But if you delve deeper into this thing, you see where it's going. You know, you're going to eat less meat because that's good for the environment and good for you. You're going to give up fossil fuels because those are damaging the economy and companies that produce them or companies that emit them will be taxed heavily. It goes on and on. But notice who's endorsing this. Government leaders, Trudeau, you should go listen to him. He's bought this thing hook, line, sinker, but he's, you know, he's a less than a midwit. A lot of these people are in power. They, they, they're sociopaths. They're going to go along with whatever. They're not uh, big thinkers to begin with. Big business is in on this, right? 
know, COVID lockdowns are destroying small business, but big, you know, I can go to Costco or Walmart or order things from Amazon and UPS guy can come and bring them, but I can't go to the local. When I went to go buy a brand new washing machine, I had to hand the money through the door, my credit card and a lady handed me a receipt. And then they brought the machine and left it. And I had to go install it myself. This is the kind of nonsense we're talking about. About a, 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 a disease that 99.8% of the people survive if they get it. Who else is in this big tech? They love that because they're going to come out on the other end of this thing. They're knee deep in this. They see all kinds of opportunity to control information, to create new currencies, digital. Uh, governments love it because merge with big tech then they can have everything digitized your entire life and they can see you, control you, uh, make sure that every single penny that you owe to the government, uh, you know, they'll control you 100%. And if you don't want to go along with it, they'll just turn the switch and you're turned off. And of course, our old friends, Bill Gates, who is anti-human all the way and thinks the world's going is overpopulated to begin with. Of course, not him or his family. It's you and your family. And our own demonic friend, George Soros. So who the hell is Klaus Schwab anyways? Well, I got this from an article. It's a globalism's champions like world economic... You know, he's a globalist. He was a German economist born in 1938, and he created this World Economic Forum. And they're working hard to counter the notions against globalism. Instead, presenting the, this catastrophe, the catastrophe we're talking about is COVID-19, as an opportunity for a, quote, great reset that would create a more sustainable version of globalism instead of doing away with it. Do you see what's at stake here? They don't want individual nations. They don't want individual determination of people. They want globalism. And oh, by the way, they will control it, not you. You won't control the decision-making. You won't have any control. You will do what you were told or the switch will be turned and you will be asked out, as they say. This vision of the future is something he explains in his book, Shaping the Future of the Fourth Industrial Revolution that came out in 2018 and in, in which Schwab emerges as a prophet of future transhumanism, the merging of humans and machines, implantable microchips that would act like smartphones inside the human body, transmitting thoughts instead of verbalizing them, including those the person has not yet expressed. I mean, this is very, very dangerous thinking in my view. This is really, I'm a big person that believes in individual freedom and individualism. This is really frightening to me, but this is what the agenda is. Again, present the catastrophe as an opportunity for a great reset. I mean, they have to do it anyways, right? Because they can't afford to meet the promises that were made. They've mucked it up. The 50, 60, 70 years since the post-war period have been completely squandered by these politicians. They've made a mess of it. And so... Let's go deeper into globalism. Let's go deeper into, we need to control things because we're the technocrats and you're the peasants that don't know what's good for yourself. That's how I look at it. So I'll put, I'll put uh, I don't have time to get into this real deep. There's plenty of information you can get into it. I suggest you go to this World Economic Forum. They put their manifesto up there. You can read it. 
they're not shy about it. They've got it right in your face. It's almost, here it is. We're going to do it, and there's nothing you're going to do about it. That's kind of how this is. It's scary. And I'm going to show you who this Klaus Schwab character is, and it's actually kind of funny. I mean, this guy looks like Dr. Evil, doesn't he? I mean, what, what is going on here? You know, this guy is going to determine what's best for everyone else on the planet. And I mean, not good. So let's get into some, I mean, this has implications for finance, for wealth. You're, you will not own nothing. You will own nothing and be happy. What does that mean? You know, you can take this to any extreme you want. What are they really advocating for? You know, they, we've seen more and more of these politicians. You've seen Stephanie Kelton that, you know, we need to think outside the box. Debts don't matter because the United States can issue its own currency. As long as inflation doesn't come along, we, we can, we can, fix a lot of problems. It's just, it's just, it'll be a triumph of the will. That's what's held us back. We haven't had the will to do. Okay. And we can do that. It's couched in a PhD white paper that's peer reviewed. I mean, who are you, John? And you're just another peasant to criticize us. Well, it's just money printing dressed up in, you know, academic BS. So yeah, these things do have implications because they're going to push this forward. Okay, certain countries are going to go forward, certain countries with this rap more rapidly than others. That's what these elections are about. That's what this whole election in the United States is about. It has nothing to do, you know, and it's been turned around as a, you know, good versus evil, bad orange man, bad against, you know, I'm the, you know, a doddering old hand puppet with 47 years in politics that's going to be an agent of change. I don't think so. So here we're go here's what we're here's what's happening, right? When I say there's many ways to skin a cat, you know, these EVs and things like that, a lot of wealthy people can buy them, but a lot of people that don't have money can't. They're not a, they're not cheap. And so you can create a product, as most of you know from economics, that is better, more efficient, does a better job, the better mousetrap, and you'll get more sales. You can make a product that's cheaper than a current product and works better. That's what we're talking about. And that will gain market share. But that's not really the case with EVs. What we're seeing is governments, there's another way to get these technologies in. Governments are mandating a shift to EVs. Let's just pick some out. You know, Canada, target to sell 100% zero emission vehicles by 2040. Netherlands, plan to ban all new petrol and diesel cars by 2030. United Kingdom, Proposed ban on selling new petrol, diesel, or hybrid cars. USA, 11 states adopted zero emission vehicle mandates. You see the United States is slowing on this. South Korea, goal of 33% of new vehicles to be electric by 2030. You can uh, take a look at this slide. You can look this up. Um, we've talked about this before in the heads I win, tails I win more. If they mandate this, then it will happen. And you're not going to own a car anyways, right? Uh, if you read the, you won't own anything and you'll be happy article that I'll post, you're, when you need to go somewhere, it'll just summon a robot car and it'll come get you. So what do you care? What, why do you even care, John? You won't own a car anyways. You'll just summon one. No one talks about, you know, uh, what that means around all the materials you need. As I pointed out when I had the interview uh, with the professor of engineering from Cambridge, where do you get the materials? 
There's not enough materials in the world just to do this in the UK. No one talks about any of that, but the mandates are going to happen. So it's going to happen. Government's going to force it to happen. They're going to raise the price of carbon. Okay. So this is what this is. All these things are about and people need to think about this, but this government intervention in the economy is perfect for speculation because it, what's happening with copper right now and zinc and these other materials they are going up. Are you paying attention? I mean, copper continues just as really nice, slow climb. Okay. And the economy is not really kicked off going, you know, great guns yet. We're back into lockdowns and yet copper continues to move higher. This is before we try to do all this. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Nickel, the same way. Is anybody paying attention? Article I'll put on there. It's about the UK again. Um, the road to hell is paved with green intentions. I could retitle this with the road to John's financial freedom is paved with green intentions. We've talked about this before. I just, you know, mentioned briefly, you know, as these things become, if they mandate these things, there's no thought given to how you will get there. I find it curious. Um, you have a situation where you have politicians wanting to get rid of, you know, nuclear power plants and coal plants and gas fired plants, but yet they want to allow all this surface mining of lithium. I believe it was in California. It's like, it's hard to believe. It's the same thing with the whole wind power thing. You know, a certain amount of birds are allowed to be killed. You know, there's a certain amount of eagle takes that are allowed in Wyoming and Colorado every year. But if I go out and kill an eagle by accident, that's a major fine. Look up, you know, I used to work at Duke Energy. They had a wind farm out there in Colorado. I believe it was the top of the world wind farm. It's in the New York Times. It's New York Times. Or like you can look up Duke Energy, Eagle Kill, Million Dollar Fine. You know, they cut a deal. You know, if you give us money, we'll let you, we'll let you kill all these things. So a lot, of these, a lot of these things are at cross purposes is the point I'm trying to make. And then, but, you know, we're not going to change it. Uh, what we can do is look at things for the way they are and then take advantage of it. So anyways, uh, from the article, from our heating to how we transport food, the proposals would mean a complete overhaul in the way we live. Part of the Great Reset. Yet barely a word has been said about the immense practical difficulties involved in Johnson's 10-point plan for Britain to go carbon neutral by 2050. This whole carbon neutral thing is ridiculous. It's against like the laws of thermodynamics. It's not going to happen. But that's a whole nother, like we've talked about before, it doesn't matter, they're gonna try it anyways. Make no mistake, it will be close to impossible to achieve and even trying could pr prove catastrophic. Johnson's green revolution would mean that we would need to completely upgrade electric wiring in our homes, streets, substations, and transmission lines. To meet demand would require enormously costly upgrades to local electricity grids, which we would all ultimately pay for through higher energy bills. If this really is part of the plan, then the government must be honest about who is to foot the bill. Well, who's going to foot the bill is the consumer. And this will all be couched in the Great Reset, and this is better for you. We're, this is going to create jobs, though, John. Don't you understand? If everybody, you know, we talked about that during that discussion on engineering. Uh, when, you know, the electrical grid in your neighborhood is sized for typical usage. If everybody gets an electric vehicle, then that changes the dynamic. 
and the electrical grid, the distribution grid in your neighborhood is not sized for that. It has to be completely rebuilt. That's a lot of money. But I guess the, the retort would be, well, that's a big opportunity. But yeah, but you're going to dig up all these minerals where that don't exist and to do all this. I mean, it's not thought through, but that's not the intent. The intent is the Great Reset. Wanted to go on here, uh, Eric Nuttall, one of our favorite analysts up in Canada, one of the last of the Mohicans of the energy analysts, uh, showed this on a tweet. Um, BP sells Brazilian offshore oil block for $140 million that it paid $3.2 billion for in 2011. Ouch. Buys into Equinor offshore wind project for $1.1 billion, and Equinor books a $1 billion capital gain on the transaction. Being woke is expensive. So basically, if you're a BP shareholder, your management basically just sold off an offshore oil block for a 95% loss and put the money into a lower uh, return asset, which is offshore wind. I mean, that's why the BP stock is, you know, probably going is underperforming the rest of the industry. Now, there are plenty of oil stocks. There was a big merger in Canada this uh, week, proposed merger between Synovus and Husky. Um, which is very uh, complimentary, if you will. There's going to be a energy crisis and a lot of these companies are going to make a tremendous amount of money. My only concern now that I'm starting to wonder about is will these governments allow us to keep this money? Will they raise the carbon taxes so high or put windfall profit taxes on, on the winds? I'm hoping that the energy bull market that we're getting ready to enter uh, happens you know, in some timely manner that we can make our money and get out before they figure out what's going on and really tax everything. But I expect that to happen. Once oil prices go higher, extremely higher, because oil's not going away, uh, contrary to what everybody seems to think, um, I think you're going to see governments look at that as a windfall. You've already seen it in many countries. They put these, these carbon taxes on things. But the companies don't really pay the taxes. That's another thing people don't understand. Sales taxes, corporate income taxes, carbon taxes. These corporations are not going to pay them. They all will be passed on to the consumer. So um, we'll just have to see how it develops, but that's typically what happens. I thought this was interesting. I would not be a shareholder of BP. They are a disaster. I did think this was interesting uh, news. Uh, a reader, a listener, a longtime listener sent this in. And I thought it was worth uh, putting a slide on. Bipartisan nuclear power legislation here in the U.S. A 61-page bill titled the American Nuclear Infrastructure Act would direct the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency to establish a tax credit program for nuclear reactors at risk of closure due to economic factors and would compel the NRC to identify ways to improve environmental reviews for advanced nuclear power projects. The bill would also direct the U.S. Energy Department to establish a uranium reserve that will provide assurance of the availability of uranium recovered in the United States in the event of a market disruption and support strategic fuel cycle capabilities. Why wouldn't we do that? We already got, uh, we're already on the defensive with rare earth metals where China is the major processor. It was one of our global competitors and can immediately turn those off at any time and put us at a big disadvantage. So we're at the same disadvantage with uranium. We, 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 we have 20% of our electricity generation is nuclear 
and we produce almost zero of our own nu uh, nuclear material, uranium. That's, that's crazy. That is a national security risk. Uranium extracted in the U.S. by companies specifically owned, controlled, or organized in Russia or China will be excluded from the reserve. So it's set up to benefit U.S.-based producers. Uh, we'll see how that plays out, but it's very dangerous ground for the United States to have that much reliance on foreigners for its, you know, if, if we didn't have enough fuel for our nuclear grid, the lights would go out. You wouldn't have enough power. Now, eventually we could probably recover and we'd be, you know, rolling black. It would be a mess. Let's put it that way. And the fact that you're these politicians uh, that were stewards and should have been paying attention to what was going on with rare earth metals and this have done nothing. Well, Orange Man started doing something about it. He created, uh, he's been looking into this for the last couple of years. But during, if you're going to be in globalism, you, you know, we're all going to cooperate. We're all friends, right? So another reader wrote in and asked me, can you cover what's going on with Bitcoin? Look, I'm not a Bitcoin or crypto expert. I don't say I am, um, but I'm somebody that likes to make money. Uh, somebody I follow on Twitter and I've mentioned before is a guy named Harris Kupperman, AKA Cuppy. He has a blog called Adventures in Capitalism. He's also a hedge fund manager of a fund called Praetorian Capital based in Florida. And he's a very smart guy. He's a very plugged in guy. Okay. And so what I'm going to do is give you a link to some articles he's written about why Bitcoin's going up and why it's probably going a lot higher. And it has nothing to do with the technology. He actually thinks it's a Ponzi. I'm not going to get into that argument. What I encourage you to do is there's a reason why it's moving higher and it has to do with the limited amount of Bitcoins that are available, the limited amount of Bitcoins are being produced in the, how they're being sucked up by various uh, funds and entities, okay? And it's going to create possibly an exponential move in Bitcoin. So a couple of quotes from the article, I will put links to it in the show notes. This is why you need to be on Twitter and be following people that are smart. This is how you learn what's really going on. And you get answers to your questions and you get thought, you get exposure to people that are thinking about things differently than you think about them. That's how, you know, we've talked about that ad nauseum. That's why I created the investment letter curation site that I have up because I'm putting all these smart people's letters, videos, podcasts, tweets, whatever on there to stimulate your thought. You should be going there. You should be perusing that. You should be not necessarily agreeing with everything you read, but stimulating your thought and getting more information. You should be reading certain books. You should be taking in information, uh, not crap but from people that have demonstrated that they are smart and that they have had success. Remember, success leaves clues. Who you surround yourself is who you're going to be. If you're planning on going over to Buffalo Wild Wings today and sitting around farting on your frat brothers watching football all day, that's probably not the best use of time on a Sunday. But, you know, that's why certain people are wealthy and successful, and that's why most people aren't. Quote from the article, let's go back to what I wrote about grayscale Bitcoin trust, hoovering coins. What he means is buying up coins. At the end of July, when I first, when I wrote about it, there were 406 million shares of GBTC outstanding. As of Friday, November 13th, that number had grown to 531 million shares or an increase of 125 million shares. 
That's equivalent to about 119,000 additional Bitcoins purchased during a brief amount period of time. To put this into perspective, the total free float is somewhere between six and eight million coins. Hence, GBTC purchased somewhere between 1.5 and 2% of the free float during this brief period of time. Another quote from the article, there are dozens of entities also hoovering up coins, many of which are not likely sellers in the near term. Almost every week we learn of a new vehicle with big marketing resources behind it. Do you think Fidelity is launching their Bitcoin vehicle without a substantial marketing campaign? In their mind, unless they raise a few billion dollars, their fund has been a failure. That's right, because it's about assets under management. They could care less if Bitcoin goes up or down. Back to the quote here, just think about what that sort of inflow would do to such an illiquid market. And that's what the whole point of his thesis is, and I agree with him, and why I own Bitcoin, uh, some Bitcoin here also. You have an illiquid market, you have a supply, you know, if you're in the gold market and the gold price doubles or triples, you're going to see a tremendous amount of money going to exploration to go into producing more gold, and the gold supply will go up. Now, it won't go up tremendously, but it will go up. The same thing holds for oil, copper, whatever. That can't happen with Bitcoin. There's a certain amount of coins being produced. There's a limited amount that can be produced. And that's, you know, it goes, he goes into further talking about it's almost similar to what's going on with a lot of the big tech stocks. When they get to a certain level, you know, they're, they're, they're owned by all these big ETFs, passive investing vehicles. People just buy them. When they get to a certain point where all these vehicles control like over 50% of the stock, then you start seeing these exponential moves. And that's what he's equating is possibly going to happen with Bitcoin. I don't disagree. Like I said, I'm not going to get into a, a discussion of the merits of Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. That's beyond the scope of this video or my own knowledge. But what I, what I do see is, a, is, a, is an opportunity to make some money. And this is a rank speculation, raw speculation, and a very smart uh, guy uh, showing you, uh, giving you the inside baseball and his thoughts. So I suggest you take a look at it. So that's it for this week, guys. You know, uh, I've been putting these things on uh, podcasts for some people that requested them. If you could do me a favor, whatever podcast vehicle uh, or method you're using, if you could add a you know, up arrow, however you do it, a review uh, would help uh, get it, this, this information out to more people. Um, again, uh, we are starting to see a shift from value or from, uh, excuse me, from growth to value over the last couple months. I don't know if this is the big change I've been predicting, but my portfolio has really started to turn around and really started to run. And uh, some of the picks we've had in the newsletter now are really starting to, to, to go in the right direction. This could be a temporary phenomenon, or as I think, it could be, you know, the beginning of what I think is going to be, over the next decade, a run in natural resources. And that's what we've positioned the portfolio of the Actionable Intelligence newsletter for. I've also, you know, I'm not wedded to resources. We've recently put into the portfolio... Uh, a couple of vehicles that are taking advantage of emerging and frontier markets that have high growth prospects and that are well-managed and have disciplined managers that have a record of success. So those things were really sold off because of this COVID thing. And as we emerge from that, we expect a lot of these things to return to their previous levels and resume their growth, growth trends. As I talked about before, you know, I mean, you can talk about what's going on in these economies, but, you know, things are happening in Uzbekistan, 
uh, Georgia, the country of Georgia. Uh, we found a vehicle to take advantage of that that's selling below book value and is recovering nicely. Uh, we have a vehicle for what I think is going to be a tremendous couple decades in Africa that's uh, selling well below book value. So there's you have to open up your scope of thinking to the entire world. And that's what we've done uh, with the actionable intelligence uh, alert newsletter. So um, you can also support me on Patreon. If you support for $5 a month or more, you can cancel that whenever you want. I will give you the current month's pick. That's just one month. I will give you the current month's pick and you can get a sampling of the work that we do and see if it's right for you. But, uh, you know, we will continue to put these videos out, encourage thought and interact with you guys. Uh, feel free to contact me and I will try to answer questions. A couple of the slides here were just basically directed because of uh, listeners asking questions or, or writing me emails. So thanks for the support guys and we'll talk to you next week.